The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. Unrelevant radio. He is not ready to die, and he doesn't want to. And yet, he has passed the first hurdle for medically assisted dying. City News speaks with a man who feels he has no choice but to end his life because of a broken social safety net. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, wait till you hear this story. It really is. It's an amazing one. You know, I, I, I don't know what part of the country you are in, but as, uh, as you take to the streets of our country... So often you see homelessness on the rise. We have so many migrants that have come to the country right now, and they're sleeping on sidewalks or people in tents. Uh, my heart goes out to the homeless population. And I think so often people are there uh, not for reasons uh, of their own wanting. Uh, you know, many people say, hey, you're a paycheck away from homelessness, homelessness, right? Think about your debts and how how quickly, if you no longer had income, you know, what would you do if you didn't have an infrastructure to help support you? Drugs send more people to the streets than anything. Mental illness is another thing that sends people to the streets. The homeless population in the United States of America, the land of abundance, has been increasing. And it's getting higher. Uh, take a look at the economics. Right? Our economy's hard. It's, uh, rental prices have skyrocketed since the pandemic. The Joint Center for Housing Studies of Harvard, they found that half of all U.S. renters were paying more than 30% of their income the money that they earned in rent and utilities. You know, the poor get poorer. It's hard. And over half of those people were paying half of their income for housing. So when things get bad, that's when you start to, you start looking for whether or not, you know, you buy food or you get your medication, right? Where, where does your paycheck go? We hear about this with the elderly all the time. Do I keep my heat on or do I, do I take my meds? And do I eat or I take my medication? So when costs get that high, it's when people... You end up getting evicted. You start living in the street or in your car or on your friend's couch. The, the latest data shows that more than a half a million people in our country right now are considered homeless. That is stunning. This is the United States of America. A half a million people in our country are considered homeless. Now, some of them have shelter, but, but others are living on the streets or in tunnels or in caves. And I'm going to ask you, be compassionate to them. They have a dignity. Right? They're there not because they want to be. They, they've, they've encountered hardship in their life. It's an opportunity for you to show mercy. Unfortunately, along with being homeless, you know, a lot of other problems come along, like drug addiction, right? disease, mental health, and some of the problems cause homelessness. But um, whatever the issue is, people who are homeless, so I, I want to stress, are made in the image and likeness of God, and their life has value. Um, there was one man who was living in Canada, and his situation became so bad that he requested what um, has been euphemistically known as medical aid in dying, right? It's gotten so bad, you say, I just don't want to live anymore, right? So he wanted assisted suicide, medical aid in dying. Listen to those terms, these euphemisms today. I ought to create a dictionary of them. So his name is Tyler Dunlop. And he's a man who lost hope. And when you lose your hope, you have no desire to go on. You have no desire to live. Uh, his plight ultimately became known, and uh, thank God, some people came to his assistance, and he was able to, to get a place in his life where he had hope again. And he actually wrote a very compelling memoir. I want you to get connected to it. If you want to read something that will, will move you, uh, it's called Therefore Choose Life, My Journey from Hopelessness to Hope. 
And if you want to check it out, um, you can go to this website, epcc.ca, epcc.ca. Joining me today is um, Tyler Dunlop, along with Tim Denbach, who helped him uh, really the most in his journey. And gentlemen, it's great to have you with me. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so grateful to have you. Tyler, I want to start with you because I, I know you have a long story, but maybe you can give me kind of a, a nutshell, uh, if you could, of how you ended up homeless, right? You had a promising life, being a good writer and a musician for everything I've read about you. What happened that you went from having a future to, to being on the street? Well, um, I had come from a dysfunctional family in... Uh small town Ontario, Canada here. And we were the stereotypical broken family. We were rife with addiction, uh, mental illness, and uh, chaos of all kinds. And uh, it was in 2010 that uh, my mental illness was greatly exacerbated. And what happened was uh, I started to uh, misuse alcohol to cope with my problems. And that quickly landed me on the streets. And I found out very quickly and suddenly and uh, very tough that uh, the, the resources weren't quite in place to prevent me from falling. Wow. So you ended up on the street, right? I know, you know, it can be tough. What led you not to want to live anymore? Well, um, my last homeless trip, I've done uh, seven tours homeless across Canada, and I've pretty much been almost everywhere. Uh, My last time was definitely the hardest because the resources in Canada are now so congested uh, and the services are all used up. And I found myself in 2022 in June homeless because a roommate had passed away. And I uh, found myself literally on the streets, no shelter services available, uh, hospitals uh, treated me in a very condescending manner, and I got the homeless treatment uh, big time. And... um, I had gone from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Toronto, Ontario, and the weather got cold, and I spent months and months and months outside in the cold, no familial help, or no help from the system, really, and uh, I walked into my local hospital one day and requested medically-assisted death, and um, uh, I went through um, Form 1632, it's called, and uh, I also... Uh, went to around a psychiatrist, but uh, legislation had been pushed back till March 17th of uh, 2024 here. And, um, yeah, I, it, it just wore That's me right. down uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I've always been a guy of strong faith, yep. and uh, usually my faith got me through prior times, but this time it was so dark, so grim, so yep. disparate, and uh, I really did enter a state of hopelessness. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I, I want to bring uh, Tim in in a minute here, but... Uh, If you could share a little bit about how you were treated. You know, I've I've come from the city of Philadelphia. I was uh, from Pennsylvania initially. I live in outside the Chicago area right now. Uh, And you see homelessness on the streets of major cities, right? I know you've seen it up there. The way people treat the homeless, um, they don't see them as human beings. It has always bothered me. My heart goes out. I knew a person who lost their job. They lived in their car. For a period of time, you know, they were they were homeless and they didn't want to be there. What was your perception of how most people perceived you when you were were on the streets? How were you treated? 
I can sum that up easily. I was treated as if I was contagious with some lethal, lethal disease. I got it in businesses. I got it from passerbyers on the street. And I would say a good 90% perceived me as I was contagious. They avoided you when you walked with near them or uh, um, they would give you a hard time if you tried to sit in a cafe. And that's how I would explain it. They, Because of a very uh, dark and, and deranged media culture, um, it's seen as an airborne virus almost, and people treat you like you're contagious, and they just want nothing to do with you, and it's a really horrible experience. And before we get to your desire to take your life or to be assisted in that, let me bring Tim in. Tim, good to have you with me today. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. So your, your connection to Tyler, I, I know you were instrumental along his journey and, and his plight. Um, fill us in on your story. Uh, for about eight years... I've been working with my daughter on a, a project called Humanizing the Homeless. And so I've met uh, hundreds of people experiencing homelessness. And one day my, my sister sent me an email with uh, an article uh, that had been published in Aurelia Matters. And I read it and, re and sent my, my sister an email saying that's the saddest story I've ever heard in my life, even though I've interviewed hundreds of people experiencing homelessness over the years. In in the article, uh, Tyler said that uh, he was a loser. He said that in in uh, 10 years from now, he figured he'd probably be in the same position as he found himself then, uh, experiencing homelessness. And, and so he just had uh, no reason, uh, he believed, to continue living. And so I reached out to to the, um, the author of the article and asked if he could possibly put me in touch with Tyler. And fortunately he did. And I know a resort owner here in the town that I live in, and I reached out to him and, and, and he's a humanitarian, he's a Christian. And I, and I said, um, I shared the article with him. I said, is there a possibility you could maybe, um, give Tyler a place to stay and, and possibly a job? And, and he said to me, well, track him down and, and we'll see what we can do. And so, as I said, I did. And, and, uh, unfortunately the, the job in the place to stay didn't work out because Tyler just wasn't stable enough at the time. He'd been, he'd been experiencing homelessness for, for several months, but, but that was the beginning of our relationship. It has to be hard on you too, though. I, I, and I just want to thank you for, um, for your mercy, because that's really what you've done. Uh, taking on somebody else who's homeless, who has all sorts of other issues. It's a disruption to your own personal life. Uh, what got you through through that as well? You know, so often we see people with mental illness on the street. They're very difficult to deal with. Addiction drives a lot of people there. Um, what motivated you and, and, and what were you able to do to get through to, to Tyler? Um, well, I just wanted to share with him the love of Christ. And uh, I'd be uh, dishonest if I didn't, if I said it, it hasn't been difficult. <laughs> and, and Tyler knows it's been difficult as well. Um, as, as a profession, I work with uh, people with mental and physical disabilities. I've been doing that for over 30 years. Um, so that helped prepare me a little bit uh, for, for what was in store. But um, the people that I work with um, don't have mental illness, though. So that was a, that was a real challenge. So uh, I've only known Ch Tyler now for, I guess, about a year. Mm -hmm. It's been a learning experience. Um, we, we tried some dead ends trying to help him. Uh, we tried to get him into 
um, a long-term uh, rehab facility, but we found out that that really didn't meet his needs um, because they didn't help people with mental illness. Uh, but uh, just over the last month, uh, we managed to find a um, supportive living program that, that seems to be ideal for That's him. So it's been a learning experience, yeah. but it's also been very rewarding. I'm sure. And, and, and Tyler, let me, um, let me hear the rest of your story. I know you had tried to commit suicide before. Uh, what got you into the position where you thought that the only way out was for you to legally get drugs from the state uh, that would, would ultimately kill you? And, and you're probably a man of faith, too. I mean, there's something in us that's wired to know that, one, we shouldn't do that. And there's always those spiritual ramifications. But, um, you know, what happened? You, if, if, if you could have, I'm sure they've—you're you know, very lucky that this didn't go through, the paperwork didn't go through, because you could have been euthanized. And I, I know once you got clean and, and uh, you know, your vision cleared, so to speak, you know, you realize what a tragedy, what a horrible mistake this would have been. It would have had, a, you know, internal ramifications for you. Um, take me through the rest of your story. Okay, well, um, I didn't do well in school. And I ended up playing music uh, for a living for quite a few years. Um, I then worked a series of minimum wage jobs, and I um, I didn't have much familial support because I come from a very poor home. And I just ended up traveling all over Canada, and to deal with the stress of my social isolation, I began to drink. And I began uh, to experience the, the more frightening symptoms of mental illness. And um, really, also, there was a part... I had lost faith in society because I had been, you know, treated like dirt for so long that uh, that was used up to. And uh, my journey seemed me right across Canada. I, I talk about that in the manuscript. Um, but there's been several suicide attempts over the years. And um, I've, like I said, I, I've learned that a lot of the uh, connections you need just aren't there. There's not enough mental health uh, uh, attention and there's uh, very little for addictions and Canada, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going down a very dark road right now. And I started to feel that uh, 13 years ago when I first experienced homelessness. Wow. Uh, my guest today, uh, Tyler Dunlop, uh, Dunlop and uh, Tim Denbach, if you want to join us, feel free to dial in. The number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you are homeless right now. You feel desperate. Maybe you're at the end of your, your own rope. Um, you know, maybe you've you've been there and you've been able to get the help you needed and you want to witness and testify to the power of somebody else's intercession or, or God's grace, feel free to give us a, a ring. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Um so how did this end? So what what ultimately happened? You ended up writing a book uh, about this and I know that can be a great inspiration uh, to a lot of people. In Canada, we know the movement towards uh, assisted suicide, uh, youth euthanasia there is is pretty pretty rampant and that's a battle i'm sure you're fighting too um what message would you give to uh, tyler and then maybe tim you could follow up to somebody who feels desperate and alone and that life's not worth living i would have to say keep the faith that's been my slogan for many years and it was faith that got me through so many years on the streets a difficult childhood uh health problems that I have and faith never fails. And, uh, I just needed someone like Tim to reach out and help me and help restore my faith. And because it's, it's completely dark when you, when you lose your faith. And, uh, when I made that decision, like I said, I was completely in that darkness. So, uh, keep the faith. All right. Tim. Um, 
I would encourage them to to look at uh, the the big questions, such as does God exist? Um, is there life after death? Does life have meaning? Does it have purpose? And I would I would actually agree with them that if they think God doesn't exist, then life doesn't have ultimate meaning, value, and purpose. But I would encourage them to look into that question uh, with an open mind, uh, because if there is a God, which I believe that there is, then then life is grounded in in value, purpose, and meaning, uh, and we have uh, intrinsic value. And that's what I tried to help uh, Tyler to see when, when I um, had him at that place for a while, because he believes in the authority of Scripture. So I, I appealed to Scripture, and I and I argued that um, euthanasia is wrong because it violates uh, the principle "Thou shalt not murder." And and to kill himself would be to destroy something with great intrinsic value. Christy's listening to us in Westchester, New York. She needs some advice from you, uh, Christy. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I have a grape in my mouth. My son's been homeless um, in Tennessee for years. And what he's in now is like he's in an empty camper with no wheels. And you know what I mean? He's just, there's nothing in it. There's not even any seats. Anyhow, and he, he has a dog. And then he found himself trying to rescue other dogs and it's just it's heartbreaking for me because he really has anywhere he is he could get kicked out he was in there so christy just for the sake of time christy just for the sake of time and for those who are just joining us her son's homeless in tennessee he's living in a trailer somewhere does he have mental illness does he have addiction why is he homeless no he doesn't he he does these jobs he's a great worker he does fantastic jobs And they don't pay him. It's the people that are around there, and he can't get out of it. All right, and you need advice from from Tim and Tyler. What advice would you give to her, Tim, to help her son? I would encourage her, if she hasn't already, to turn to social agencies, especially Christian social agencies, uh, because they have the the means and the know-how to help people like her son. Yeah, it's it's good advice, you know. Yeah, and I would have to agree. Um, sorry to interrupt, yeah, ahead, um, no, but so the social agencies uh, founded on faith tend to be far more compassionate than a lot of the secular ones. At least I've found that here in Canada. Well said. For the sake of time, let me move along. I'll grab another call. Uh, Mark is in Eureka, California. Hi, Mark. Hi. Sure. Thanks so much for taking my call. You got it. Um, hey, so I guess technically I'm a homeless person. I live in an RV. I'm in California. I guess I'm living the high life compared to other, because um, I have SSI. Yeah. And every day, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for what I have. I, and I just want to offer my testimony that I, so my parents, you know, I'm in my, 50, my parents are in, in their 90s. They're still together. So it's like the musician you said that he, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but the, the um the musician who, who's you you the Bible says the iniquities of the father are visited upon the third and fourth generation, and my father didn't have a father growing up, and because of one thing or another, you know I've I've just been wandering. I'm in my fifties, 
And I just want to say, you know, I'm grateful. I mean, I, I do believe in charity. Yep. And I know that I think the Jewish word is Tedesca. You know, they have it. But, I, you know, I know it's not a crutch. And, Drew, you've mentioned Mark Levin on your show, and I, I'm all about this country is in trouble and all this, and we got to – but on the other hand, you understand what – I'm just bringing up this conflict yeah, that – to be addressed. So, Mark, I'm not, t- I'm not totally following you. Are you talking about the importance of charity for the homeless? Yeah, well, well, but, well yeah, I, I just mean how it can become political, and I, I, I do have empathy. I have absolute. I don't. I don't think it should be relied upon. However, there are some of us who try to be responsible. I don't dump my garbage, you know, down a hillside. You know, in, in California, homelessness is rampant, and and they they dump their garbage and this yeah. and that, and well, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I do. Hey, Mark, I'm glad you called. I'm glad you're listening. And and uh, Tim and Tyler, maybe we could just address his issue. Here's somebody who's in a situation where he's on supplemental Social Security. He's getting funding from the state. Um, charity's important from, from people. I know there are institutions that are out there that can help you get through. I, I don't know if you have any advice for him a, at all. What caught my ear was him saying he's basically just wandering because, you know, basically that's, that's what society does. They, they isolate the homeless. And, uh, but when I was wandering, I saw God move every single day in miraculous ways through people, places, things, events, and circumstances. And so again, my advice is uh, once again, keep the faith. All right. We'll go to Patty next. She's in Littleton, Colorado. Hi, Patty. Hi. So my son, who's in his forties, Drew, he, He's choosing to be homeless, and he continually calls me and gives me a sob story. Mm-hmm. And as a mom, what do I do sometimes? I go give him some money. I listen to him, but I, I become his mat where he just stomps on me. And to be honest, I fear him. Mm-hmm. I, I bought an alarm in my house so that I turn it on and off. I, I just don't even know where to go. And, and my faith, I'm a strong, strong yeah, Catholic. of course. How many times do I allow this? Where's my boundary? Such a good question. And, and gentlemen, we only have a few minutes, so let me throw that to you. What do parents do? Because the last thing they want their child to do is to die, right? To, to be on the streets. And when we see it with addiction, a lot of times, you know, eventually you hit the rock bottom and the parents, they got to say, no, you're not coming back. I'm not helping anymore. You need help. And the child will sometimes choose the drugs over help and they'll end up homeless on the streets. What does a, pa- a parent like Patty do? How often does she continue to help that child if this cycle of behavior continues? Yeah, that's a really... Tim, would you like to take that? That's a really tough question. Um, I think it can get to the point where you're not really helping them if you allow them to continue to use you. I think this is where tough love comes in. And uh, I think it's important to make clear to uh, the child in, in that instance that um, you love them, but you, you hate what they're doing. Yeah, and just to continue uh, to encourage them to get the help that they need. Well, I want to thank you both. I'm up against the clock, so we're going to have to hold it right there. Your book, Therefore Choose Life, My Journey from Hopelessness to Hope. What's the best way to connect to that or get that if someone wants to read your story? It is available on Amazon, sorry.ca, rather. All right. That sounds great. Hey, uh, thank you, Tim. Tyler, thank you both. Keep up your good ministry, okay? I'm very grateful for your time today. Thank you. Have a good afternoon.
Yeah, Thanks you too. for having God bless me. You. That's uh, Tim Denbach and Tyler Dunlap. The story again: Choose uh, Life, my my journey from helplessness to hope. Available online, and we'll get that info up there for you. Also, um, I just want to before we take a, it's a quick pause here, and we're going to come back. I want to talk about Elon Musk's neural implant. I just want to speak to anyone who is struggling with this issue because, you know, you may not be as extreme as as being hopeless, but I'll tell you what, uh, and being on the street, um, we all face challenges in life. You know, we really do, and you might be hopeless right now. Um, times can feel overwhelming. Maybe your spouse is cheating on you. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're sick, right? Uh, it's easy to get filled with despair. It's easy to think that life is not worth living, right? Um, we are called to have hope, unshakable hope. You know, the catechism is really a treasure trove of wisdom. And, you know, open your, it's, it's one of the theological virtues. The catechism will unfold all that for you. And it defines hope as the virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our, as our happiness. How do you do that? You got to place your trust in Christ's promises. Uh, John Paul II, he famously said, look, don't abandon yourself to despair. We're Easter people, right? Alleluia is our song. He faced communism and Nazism and horrors that were untold. St. Teresa of Avila, she re-echoed that same story. St. Paul in, in the Gospels, in his letter to the Romans, talks about suffering. We all suffer, right? Suffer produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character, he says, produces what? Hope. It's important that we hope. So if you're in a tough place right now, I say have hope. Put your eyes towards heaven. Set them on God. Um, I'm telling you, life is worth living. You you might be in a fierce battle right now, but the war has already been won. right? God has won it for you. God has won it for you. And hope tells you that there's light at the end of the tunnel, and your struggles are not in vain. God's love is unfailing. Hope is not passive. I'm telling you right now, maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe you're thinking about terminating your life. Maybe you're thinking about throwing it all in. Um, Choose to trust in God's goodness, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed. I guarantee you grace will come. Don't let the darkness win, right? Because as Christians, we are called to be beacons of light, and Christ will vanquish that darkness. So we're going to pray for you. Know that you were created for a mission, and God's got a purpose in your life. And... uh, Take one step at a time, one day at a time. You know that with God, all things are indeed possible. He can find ways to make your situation right. It's bottom of the hour. We need to take a short break. When I come back, we'll talk more. In fact, um, we are in a strange new world. Uh, is it possible that the paralyzed could walk? Well, the answer is yes, believe it or not. Elon Musk just implanted a neural link. He implanted a brain chip in a human, Right? Sounds cool. Sounds great. What about transhumanism? We are entering into a strange new world. I'll break it all down for you. Father Tap, a whole check will stop by, and you can join me as well. Don't go away. The Drew Mariani Show. I Drew, thank you. Thank you for your show. This is the Drew Mariani Show. Marvelous show on the radio right now. On Relevant Radio. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. 
This morning, Elon Musk announcing that for the first time, his company Neuralink has implanted a brain chip in a human. Musk saying the person is recovering well. Initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Neuralink's goal is to help paralysis patients communicate by connecting their brain to a computer. The device is designed to interpret your neural activity so you can operate a computer or a smartphone by simply thinking. People paralyzed from stroke, from traumatic brain injury, or a spinal cord injury could see the benefits. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's, boy, it's, it's amazing. The technological advances that we are making. And with artificial intelligence, it's, it's going to be a wild new world. I mean, what your kids or your children's children are going to experience... It's it's wild, and Elon Musk. I know people are very divided over, but I think the guy's amazing. I mean, really, the stuff that he envisions, what he's been able to accomplish ever since COVID, this tech billionaire has been celebrated by the right for his championing of free speech. Right, he bought Twitter after they, you know, manipulated, uh, you know, content. Really, renamed it X, and uh, you know they've played with their algorithms, and he wants an open forum for speech, a free place for exchange. I love that. You know, so he released, you know, he released the Twitter files. Those files, of course, showed the collusion between the company and the government in suppressing people's speech during the pandemic. People like a frequent guest on this show, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's a man who went through that. He's a Stanford epidemiologist. Uh, Maggie and I talked about how they're trying to buy off you know, social media influencers right now. They understand the power of this. So when you got somebody who's saying, hey, here's a platform for speech, free speech, I'm like, bravo. Uh, what people may not realize is that Elon Musk um, is still even, you know, he's kind of part of the world of the elite. I mean, he's, a, he's the richest man on the planet, right? Even though he wasn't invited to the World Economic Forum, for some reason they disinvited him to Davos this year. Um, he is the world's wealthiest. He's among the world's wealthiest men, and he's eccentric. Besides X, he owns Tesla. Uh, what he's done with SpaceX is always, I, I've always been marveling at. He wants to send people to the moon. Uh, not to the moon, to, to Mars. That's his mission. Uh, he thinks we need to be an inter interplanetary species. And I think he's right. But he's got all these companies. I think he's got the Boring Company. Uh, he's got another company called Neuralink. And with Neuralink, and I want to talk about that today. It's a company he's he's been developing that is looking for ways to get technology to read the human brain. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to? Well, there's actually uh, there's actually uh, a Black Mirror episode where I, I don't know if there was context. I saw it a few years ago, where everything you've done was recorded, right? And you could play your memories back, right? It was kind of creepy. If you ever get a chance to see it, it it really makes you think. But could you imagine if you could somehow read the human brain, what people are thinking or, or manipulate the brain in some way? What he wants is to eventually have interaction between computers and your brain and the brain, right? So you can control a computer just by thinking about it. Initially, you know, though he, he wants to use these devices to help correct medical issues like paralysis. And, and last night he announced on on X, that somebody has had a neural link device successfully implanted into either his or her brain. I don't know whether, I don't know who it is. Uh, he didn't give any specifics uh, about it. really what is an important um, accomplishment. And um, 
you know, there's no details why this person is, was chosen for testing or what the person's condition is or where it was done or who the doctors were. You, you get the picture. So I'm assuming that information will come out later. But this could be another step towards something darker. And Father Tapaholchuk is going to enjoy me. I want to get his take on this. For years now, tech giants, these tech leaders have been wanting to upload human minds to the computer. Right? Is it possible to upload every memory, every thought? Uh, you, know, you won't be able to upload your conscience, but that's what they want to do. You know, obviously there's problems on how to get the information from the brain to the computer, but maybe Musk has been able to overcome that. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about transhumanism. Let's talk about the future. Father Tapaholchek is the is the senior ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He wrote, writes a column called "Making Sense Out of Bioethics." And you can find him online at fathertad.com, fathertad.com. Father Tad, thanks for being here. This is a pretty wild story, isn't it? Oh, it sure is, Drew. It's got lots of implications in lots of different directions, huh? Yeah, well, we can certainly talk transhumanism, but the idea first. Let's, let's get into the idea of making a device that can help people walk. I mean, that should be applauded or be able to use their arms or I, I'm even seeing stories about people getting vision back now. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Does implanting a neural link or a chip in the brain, um, gosh, this is new territory. We don't know a whole lot about it. What do you know about the story and does implanting that device directly into the brain take this good into an unknown realm? Well, it's technology that actually has been being developed for a while goes back to maybe as far back as 2004 people were first attempting to do this and i mean it's a sensible approach in the, from the point of view that you're trying to put in something that can read the activity of your brain mm -hmm. and basically digitize it and then make that information you know come out of your head into some other machine that'll make you able to interact with your environment so as you're pointing out, this has therapeutic applications, no question. And some of them, you know, may be very striking and positive kinds of therapeutic developments, assuming the technology matures a little bit further. Um, are there concerns? Yeah, there sure are. I mean, we're very, very early in the game here. But, uh, you know, we can go through a raft of types of concerns around this technology that I think will make people, you know, a little bit hesitant and say, oh, gee, we do need to talk about ethics uh, in this arena as well. So so for the physical, if I was paralyzed and I had the ability to walk again, you know, I, I would probably, I certainly want to do it, right? Um, there are potential well, benefits. You know, if, I mean, let's, let's just jump in right there and okay. say, you know, there is first, I think, uh, a kind of very basic question, and I'm hoping that Musk has addressed this pretty carefully in the work that's been done up to this point, but it's a, it's a simple question of safety. So look, you're putting something inside the brain. What are the kinds of dangers you would anticipate? Infections, scarring maybe, um, you know, there could be some damage from the probe mm -hmm. when you put it into the brain. Uh, there could be what's called cerebral swelling or cerebral edema. Bleeding might be a problem. Um, and, you know, think about this. You're putting like it's sort of a net on top of the brain to read its signals. Now, what if you're in a really rough car accident or you're out there playing football and this thing gets shifted around in your head 
and the connections with your neurons get all interrupted and the thing doesn't work anymore. Right. You know, I'm just saying there are practical safety questions yeah. that need to be smoothed out right up front. And hopefully that work yeah. is being done. We know so little about the details yeah. of what Musk announced yesterday yeah. that at this point we just can't say much more. Yeah, what, what we do know is that Neuralink was looking for a trial participant suffering from quadriplegia. Uh, last September, that's what was out. So I'm assuming, and we don't know anything, right, that the patient fits that description. Uh, the chip I found very striking. It was called telepathy. That's what he calls the, the – it's about the size of a quarter. It's implanted in the skull. It's attached to tiny thread-like electrodes that delve into the brain to relay these signals to the neurons. Pretty futuristic stuff, and we're just in the beginning of this. It's only going to get smaller and better and probably more proficient. It's cutting-edge technology. And I know Norlink, Norlink, the company, it wants to enable people to control everything from computers to smartphones just by thinking. Uh, that's wild. And they've already shown videos of monkeys using the device to play video games. But, but human implantation, you know, implanting this in a human is a whole new ballgame. Um, what's the purpose of that? I mean, how likely do you think that is? And you think people will be willing to put something in their brain so they don't have to operate their smartphone or their computer, you know, in a tactile fashion? I certainly do. I think this is going to be, you know, the next sort of stylish fad. You know, I remember one time there was a guy who was working on this. I forget his name, but he went over to Google and he gave them a speech about his work. And afterwards, he was kind of surprised because there was an engineer there at Google who was an avid gamer. And he came over to him and he, he said to him, look, when, if you do this, put this in my brain, can I have like a third thumb so I can be a better gamer? <laughs> now, gosh. Yeah, believe it or not. So this guy, you know, was struck by this question and he basically came to the conclusion that he did not want to be implanting electrodes into people just so they can become better gamers. Yeah, right. But, you know, are we going to be able to completely stave off or avoid those kinds of outcomes? I'm not so sure we are. You know, this will become something that will enter probably further down the road, quite a bit further down the road mainstream marketing and then people oh, yeah. will be able to just sign up and you know get extra enhanced capabilities yeah and, and it, norlink isn't alone I mean, musk is visionary as he is um there are companies like uh, synchron uh, blackrock neurotech they're all making strides in, in these brain computer interface technologies then i think about ai and how that'll be connected i mean it's just it's wild the norlink approach is, is unique in the fact that it has this direct impact you know, implementa implantation into the mind, if I can get that word out of my mind, out of my mouth. Uh, the ethical concerns, Father, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, sure. You know, I, I think I... we've talked about transhumanism in the past. Um, the ethical considerations of putting a chip in somebody's brain, I would argue, and this is a very basic one, you probably have other examples, uh, could lead to a new form of digital inequality or division in society, somebody who's got these other capabilities that nobody else has. Um, sure. How do you see this playing out in terms of the long run? How might, might the technology evolve in the next decade? And what are the moral concerns? All right. So, I mean, I think you're right. There is this whole question of what about enhanced humans versus standard humans? And would you be setting up a kind of caste system where the rich and those who can afford this then, you know, have far greater capabilities? That's certainly possible. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of other interesting angles here that are going to probably emerge. So imagine a situation like this, that you go in, you get one of these things put into your head, 
and you're living with it, let's say for two or three years, everything's going fine, uh, but some problem arises and suddenly it has to be removed and you have now this tremendous frustration personally because you're transitioning from having been enhanced to being unenhanced now and you feel like you're being left behind because you don't have this thing in your head anymore. Psychological stress, you know, that could arise from that sort of thing. A couple other angles, I mean, think about confidentiality. You've got these probes inside your head and they're going to be collecting data. And the question becomes, you know, as you extend the reach of this into other parts of the brain, what kind of data is going to be collected? And is this going to be held confidential? Is this going to be sold to the highest bidder? Are there going to be, you know, big pharma wanting to get a hold of this data for whatever reasons they have, dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, I think there are also possibilities uh, here, Drew, maybe in the direction of getting intrusive with these things. You know, imagine you put these things into children's brains and they're sitting in school learning things and learning also how to use these chips. But at the same time, you can monitor the kid's attention span. And if they're sort of not paying attention, you can, oh, hey, you sitting over there, why aren't you paying attention? Or you've got workers in a factory and they're having lapses of attention and they're not, you know, assembling what they're supposed to be assembling so well because you're monitoring them remotely because of this thing in their head. I think there's an intrusiveness piece here that we've got to be careful about. Um, you know, one more example. Yeah. What about non-voluntary implantation of these things? So. Wow. You know, forced implantation, for example, of these chips to maybe neuter certain yeah, criminal right. behaviors. That's a possibility. Wow. So, you know, you can expand these lists further and further of real concerns yeah. as the chips, you know, acquire more functionality and as you... Uh, interface with different parts of the human brain. Sure, these these criminals with these recidivist type of behaviors, the molesters, abusers. I mean, gosh, you could see how, you know, if the government got involved, if the state got involved, you know, these types of policies would pass. If you can kill a child in the womb, why not do something like that? You commit this crime, here's your consequence. Then one other thing, Father, too, and I need to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a few calls. What about hackers? You know, what if somebody was to hack into your neural link somehow? What that could do, right? My Absolutely. Guest, Father Tab, a whole check. We'll pick it up on the other side. If you want to get in, I only have about 10 minutes left. We'd love to have you join our conversation. Pull up a chair. You can dial in now at uh, 888-914-9149. 888 914 And by the way, if you missed any of this conversation, Maggie will have all of our podcasts up right after we sign off. So you can listen to this again or share it with somebody else. Our conversation continues the more right after this. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the infant child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Turn it up! The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. You don't even know. I can make your hands clap. Said I can make your hands clap. Soak in your neural link. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. If you are just joining me, big news today. Elon Musk. 
is making news with uh, the fact that he's been able to implant um, well a neural link into a human brain. And it raises a lot of questions uh, about transhumanism and what this portends for the future. Look, there's a lot of benefits from it, and I don't want to diminish those at all. Somebody who can't walk has the ability to get mobility again. What a game changer that will be. But it raises question, too. What does it mean for your humanity? Um, could this pursuit of, of becoming a perfect human with knowledge or abilities, what's that do to, to God's creation, right, to your very essence? Uh, there's the real danger of inequality in, in the future. People who've been, I don't know, uh, implanted versus those who have not been enhanced. And then there's the culture right, of disposability that transhumanism could foster. If a society starts valuing enhanced traits, does that leave those who are imperfect or unenhanced? What's it do to them? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of moral issues that we need to talk about here, but my guest today is an ethicist from uh, the National Catholic Bioethics Center and a wonderful Catholic priest. His name's Father Tapa Holchek. And, and Father, you and I were talking not only on the air, but during the break uh, about the advent of these neural implants and, and not just the medical benefits that come, but with these technological advances, there's privacy invasion that, that could take place. You've got hackers, you've got manipulation and control of human beings. There's data security risks. There's ethical concerns. There's, you know, maybe even identity or personality changes. You know, what about consent? What about coercion? What about prisoners? You know, there's a whole litany of things. What about weaponization? So let's talk about this. If in the wrong hands, let's just, we'll start with hackers. I'll throw that to you. Um, what can happen? Yeah. So, I mean, hackers is a, is a very concerning one. You know, let's say this kind of implant really does become something that's widely utilized and you've got people maybe in government or at the Department of Defense, let's say, who have these things in their heads. And this is a way that they can, you know, share future plans in wartime, uh, you know. And so the question of what about the Secretary of Defense if somebody can hack in and steal top secret information this way? Uh, this has to be something that, you know, is going to be of concern, I think. You mentioned personality changes. I mean, that that's also actually a possibility in the sense that if you have one of these devices in your head and it's assisting you to process information in new ways, so you're going to get, for example, maybe new perspectives on your own relationships with other people and maybe things like even new sources of pleasure and irritation. Oh, wow. And so people will look at you and they'll say, gee, you don't seem like you're the same person you were before. And indeed, they, they really may give that impression in a strong sense. Now, you know, when I mentioned pleasure, I think there's one other angle here. You know, you might envision a situation where some kind of focused brain stimulation would be good for breaking out of addictions, you know, addictions to drugs, let's say. But they can maybe work the other way as well. What if the settings on the thing were adjusted and you could introduce stimulation and you could dial in your own electrically induced high? That would be a real concern and people would be, you know, even more addicted. Or what about if this was true for erotic stimuli? You know, we could have some very serious addiction problems that could arise as we understand more and more precisely which parts of the brain are, you know, coordinating these behaviors. And you know the things you just mentioned will take place. There will be people who can see profit from it. There's going to be people who are I'm going to afraid want to so. manipulate yeah, from it. So really, 
so where are we, though? And I want to grab a couple of calls, but where are we in terms of this wild new frontier? I mean, I, I, I'll go talk AI later in the week because that's a whole wild new frontier. It's going to radically change things. But if we can fine-tune these neural these neural links, these implants, and it's coming, I, what does that portend? I think it really reminds all of us of how important it is to think through the implications of the technology and to begin to put in place some boundaries and safeguards. And I think, you know, my sense is, I'm not totally sure of this, but that Musk has also, you know, raised some of these issues as areas of possible concern. Everybody realizes this is getting mighty close to the very center of our being. And we have to, you know, walk very gingerly, very carefully here. All right, well, let's grab a call or two. Time is my enemy, as I like to say, because there's never enough of it. Marie in Monroe Township, New Jersey. You're on with Father Paholchek. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Drew and Father. My question is, can this be used on criminals not only to change their behavior, but to change their desire so they no longer have the desire to kill or steal or rape or, or worse? Okay. Would that be considered taking away their free will that God gave us? Yeah, Marie, I think that that's... Uh pretty much further down the road at this point, but not without precedent. There are drugs that are used with prisoners sometimes to decrease sexual drive so that they won't commit crimes a second time or third time. Uh, and the question of whether you could simply, instead of using drugs, use an implant like this, it seems likely that there will be that possibility at some point in the future. Now, does it take away free will in that sense? Um, I, I think that's a hard question. I think if it's used in some kind of proper way, it may facilitate individuals who are deeply struggling with highly disordered behaviors to have a better baseline and to be more ordered in the manner in which they then are able to make decisions going yeah. forward. Yeah. But hard to say for sure. It's a good question, though. Stan's in northern Nevada. Stan, you have to make it kind of brief if you could. But welcome. Yeah. My, well, uh, thank you, Drew. I, I'll try to make this brief. I when I when I think of this, I think most of the communication that goes on with us as human beings is between our heart and the and the and, and God. And the mind only plays a secondary role. Every great artist's works come from their heart. And and so my concern is this is this could be like a form of slavery. It can make people insensitive because they won't really look at their neighbors or see Christ in that because they got all these brain thing, uh, you know, these things on their brain. Yeah. That yeah. That's my thought. Well said. Uh, Father, I'm going to allow you to respond and offer some final thoughts. My apologies, everyone on hold. We'll have to revisit it, but uh, it's all yours, Padre. Yeah, I'd say that's a hard, hard question to say. How will creativity and sort of deeper aspirations of the human heart and the human mind uh, be able to be, will they be able to be in some way affected here, but they probably will. Well, Father, thank you. I don't know if you're writing about this at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, but if people want yes. more info, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, through ncbcenter.org or through fathertad.com. Hey, I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for stopping by. It's always good to talk with you. Well, great to be with you. Thanks so much, Drew. You got it. It's Father Tad Paholchek. I am out of time for the day until our pass again cross. I'll be praying for you. Have a wonderful day.